Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to this Clash of the Titles Christmas Countdown Special. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, everyone! Welcome to this Christmas Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this Christmas Countdown special in the red corner. Are we getting too old for this? Is this getting too old for us? And how bad can one woman's cooking really be? We'll answer these questions and more as we spend some time with one of cinema's greatest ever cop duos, Riggs and Merton. It's the Christmas classic, 1987's Lethal Weapon. He's a criminal's worst nightmare. A cop who enjoys the danger. He was ready to retire. Now, he's gonna wish he had. Raj, meet your new partner. New partner? While in the blue corner, how can the same shit happen to the same guy twice for the very first time? Yes! It's the movie that turned TV actor Bruce Willis into a movie star and gave us one of action cinema's greatest ever villains. We're saying yippee ki yay with John McClane in 1988's Die Hard. It's Christmas Eve in LA, California. Is well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLane, has come to see his wife. Instead, he's going to have to save her. Sit down. So, what connects these two films, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clashpotters. What did one shepherd say to the other shepherd? Let's get the flock out of here. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome to this week's Christmas Cop Clash as Lethal Weapon goes up against Die Hard to decide which is the greatest Christmas action movie ever. These were my choices. Oh, as always, you're welcome. Okay, good. Uh, And also, why are we doing these movies? Uh, well, because it's simply not Christmas in my book until you watch Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, or a combination of the two. 
All right, I actually have something something special to do. Before we get into this show properly, I got something, something special to do. I think I know what this I, is going to be. I think you do. <laughs> I, I thought he I would as know. well. Hello. Oh, is that the sexy sound of Tupperware opening on Clash of the Titles? Oh, it is. What could these, what could these foil-wrapped things possibly be? There you go, Victoria. Thank you. There you go, Christopher. Oh, what is this, Alex? Oh, I don't know. Why do you know and I don't? Because we've talked about it a bunch of times on the show and he promised us this last year and didn't no, deliver. No, it's not! Oh. No, it's it! Oh, my God, it's right! For oh. listeners who might not yeah. know, though, yeah. Alex, do you want to... This is my gift to you through, from <laughs> another person. This is... The Christmas Tom Cruise cake. It was delivered to my house, to me, from Tom oh Cruise yesterday. This is my third or, or fourth year uh, in a row. Who's keeping score? Did you invite him in for a cup of tea? <laughs> uh, no, I was busy, actually. I was um, I was watching uh, Die Hards, but he, he'd seen it too many times, so he just handed it me the cake. Lovely. It looks lovely. We can't eat on a podcast. That's the law, isn't it? So I, I wasn't sure whether... It would be great because this would be like the live eating <laughs> of a Tom Cruise Christmas cake. I'm going to have a bite. Okay. Just one bite. And, and then can this be part of our substantial meal in the pub outdoors <laughs> afterwards? I really hope so. I think yes. Oh, it's good. Is it really good? Oh, all right, I'm going to have some. Oh, my God, it's good. Oh, thank you, Tom. Oh, Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Mm. Um, How many movie podcasts can say that their hosts ate a cake from Tom Cruise live on air? What hmm? is it? Have you got coconut in it? It's got coconut in it. That's incredible. Mm. It's amazing. It's um, I got uh, Al Pacino sent me some sausage meat, <laughs> <laughs> and Susan Sarandon sent me a chocolate log. So they'll be coming in next week. <laughs> uh, all right, that's that bit done. Uh, I, I'm really glad I did it. <laughs> thank you, Alex. And thank you, Tom. Uh, so uh, back to the show. Uh, so, uh, no clues for our Christmas countdown shows because we've announced uh, what the pairings are, uh, but that doesn't mean there isn't one hell of a party going on on our Twitter, at ClashPod, which you are all invited to, or why not be one of the first to join our new Instagram, also at ClashPod. Uh, so, no guesses, uh, but I'm just going to do a, a bit of a, a shout-out to a few names. Dave Flower, I Am Grout, Andrew Holden, Andy Gaffney, Josie Bob, there's loads more. I can't do the whole list, but thank you for all your kind words about our Love Actually show, which seemed to go down a treat last week. Who knew you could be so angry on a podcast and it'd be great listening? <laughs> it's a relief, actually. Yeah. Shall we do the connections between <clears throat> Die Hard and uh, Lethal Weapon? Because uh, there are many. Mm-hmm. Um, who'd like to start? People or things? What do you want to go with? Uh, let's do... I've sort of just mashed them all together in one unholy list, which mm. well, I'm probably going to have to edit on air because it's too long. Well, you've got to start with the big one, Joel Silver, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Uber producer. Um, and this takes him up to... The, this week takes him up to seven Clash Pods. Uh, Commando, Roadhouse, Demolition Man, Kiss Kiss, Bang Bang, Nice Guys, and these two movies. Nice. I'll go with uh, Christmas Cocaine. It'll kill you uh, by either being cut with drain cleaner or making you overconfident in your negotiating skills. <laughs> I'd also say there's so much cocaine floating around these film sets that I got high watching it. <laughs> Victoria? Uh, I've got, are you a white police officer? I bet you don't play by the rules. Are you a black police officer? I bet you're a family man. It's good. Thanks. It's true. It's true. Um, I, I like... Uh, uh, stunts involving helicopters being too close to the ground. Mm. Um, Vietnam vets mm. all over these movies. 
I want a cigarette, repeatedly. <laughs> uh, people falling out of skyscrapers. Yeah. I've got um, inappropriate rain. So in an ending of one of the versions of Lethal Weapon, there's a trailer truck full of cocaine and it explodes over the Hollywood Hills. So it sort of snows coke over the Hollywood side. This was in the original script. Yeah. Right. And then at the end of Die Hard, it's, isn't it the money? I mean, it is money, isn't it, raining down? Like big bankers Barab- drafts. Barabons. Some, what is that? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, inappropriate rain. Yep. Um, Michael Kamen. Oh, composer. Yep, sure. Uh, we know him from Roadhouse and Robin Hood. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about old TV shows a lot. Uh, we've got uh, yep. The Lone Ranger. Yeah. Is it The Lone Ranger with Roy Rogers? That was The Lone Ranger, wasn't it? Yes, The Lone Ranger. And then we've also got, uh, uh, what is it? The Three Stooges. Jeez. Should have written that down. Grand Bush. Mmm. <laughs> what a name. I yeah. really like saying it. Grand Bush. <laughs> Grand Bush. I can see. He plays uh, Detective Boyette in Lethal Weapon, but you will know him as Agent Johnson uh, in the helicopter who isn't Robert Davey. Oh, right. Yeah, Little yeah. Johnson. Little Johnson. Yeah, there okay, you go. Yeah. Yeah. Mary Ellen Traynor. Mm. Again. Yep. Zemeckis' wife at the time. She's in both films. Um, as is our old friend. Yep. Do you want to say him? Al Long is there as Endo the Torturer and Candy Bar Eating Thief. <laughs> So we've had him on Big Chum Little China, They Live, uh, and Bill and Ted. So he's up to five now. Uh, Bruce Willis? Yeah. Are we having Bruce Willis as a connection? Can do. I mean, he was he was in Loaded Weapon 1, which was a spoof okay. of Lethal Weapon. He had a cameo as John McClane in that. So I guess he's a connection. Kind of, yeah. Sort of. Um, the way the big blonde villain gets shot at the end is very similar in both movies. Mm. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very similar moment. It is because uh, what is it? Uh, um, uh, Al Powell does it in one of them, and and Myrta does it in the other. Yeah, but Bruce Willis and his wife are sort of draped in a big coat that they're sharing as uh, as Riggs and Myrta. Oh, mm-hmm. And now, yeah, I'll go with that. Um, I've got one to end on. So okay. if we've got any yep. more, oh, this is my last one. Uh, <laughs> Cheryl Baker. Yes. Have you got it? Um, I didn't know. We've talked about her before. Yeah, we have in Roadhouse. Uh, yes, she was well endowed woman mm. in Roadhouse. That was her credit. Yeah, I only got into this because I saw the credit and I did my time working out, and it was around the time Eggs and Baker was on TV. Yeah, and I did want to know if it was Cheryl Baker. <laughs> I thought that's who. That's why I've gone quiet. Of Eggs and Baker fame. That is who you mean. Yeah. It's not her. No, oh, it's, no. it's not her. No, but uh, we've discussed we've discussed well endowed woman before, right? Mm. Yeah, so uh, she is in Lethal Weapon. Uh, she's credited as Girl in Shower. And then in Die Hard, she stars as Woman. And then in Roadhouse, <laughs> which we discussed, she was well-endowed wife. And uh, she bowed out of acting after 1991's LA Story, where she played Changing Room Woman. Yeah, she's had enough of this. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think if you've gone from Girl in Shower to Changing Room Woman, you've just moved on in life. <laughs> but to go from Lethal Weapon to Die Hard to Roadhouse, I think she might have been involved with someone producing this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still a legendary trio of movies to have on your CV, regardless of what your credit is within them. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, that's good. Um, uh, very quickly, before we uh, crack on, uh, I did mention Loaded Weapon, which has a cameo from Bruce Willis. Uh, that also uh, starred an actor by the name of Tim Curry. And that completes this week's obligatory Tim Curry reference. Oh, an actual good one. Yeah, a good one this week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it fell in my lap, I won't lie. <laughs> so, V, mm. I gave you Lethal Weapon. Chris, I gave you Die Hard. So, 
you're already both winners. <laughs> but we do it chronologically, meaning 1988's Die Hard is on Thursday, but today it's Lethal Weapon. Victoria, take us on a journey. Lethal Weapon stars Mel Gibson as a deranged and sad, frequently naked and wildly mulleted cop, partnered with Danny Glover's fully shirted and tied regular guy. A guy who loves his family so much, he spends a lot of time hiding from them on a boat in his driveway. <laughs> anyway, this pair have got to solve the drugs-related death of some people or something. It doesn't really matter, as the action takes a backseat to the blossoming friendship between Riggs and Murtaugh. As each learns from the other, Riggs finding a reason to stay alive and Murtaugh rediscovering the fire in his belly from his youth. Because don't forget, he's 50 in this film, which we are repeatedly told is ancient. <laughs> And it all culminates in those classic demonstrations of platonic love where you say to someone, I see you, you're my friend, I've got you, so let's drive a car through the front of my house for no <laughs> fucking reason and you can have a semi-naked mud wrestle to the death on the lawn. <sighs> ah, <laughs> funny. <laughs> it's, good. It's, good. it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So controversially, um, I've only seen this film once before mm-hmm. in the week. I don't know why. I just have. But... Yeah, and I look at your face. <laughs> no, that was that was that was me acknowledging the fact that I don't remember when I first saw it either. It's just one of those films mm. that I've obviously seen more than once. Yeah, but I don't remember having that sort of like epiphany. I know I loved it when I first saw yeah. it. But I don't know when it was. I just don't know why I haven't seen it again. I don't know. It just didn't fall onto the list. What Alex said, but also I I would say you know contrary to what you said at the start there, Alex, I don't tend to watch this Christmas time in the way that I watch Die Hard. Mm. This hasn't become a Christmas favourite for me. Mm. It's an action film I've watched a few times at the time, and also the sequels. You would watch, they all kind of they all kind of melded into one yeah. in those sort of ten years. I genuinely used to get Lethal Weapon two and one confused. Yeah, for sure, all mm. the time, mm. which is fine. Yeah, Let's not do it today. No, of course. <laughs> so yeah, it's just always been there. Yeah, but this is why I was more excited about of the two films. I'm I was more excited about watching Lethal Weapon uh, for this show sure. purely because, Agreed. and I, I I can't believe I'm saying this. I think I may have watched Die Hard too much. Agreed. There was a small part of me this time that when I put it on, I was like, I know every beat of this movie so well. I've watched it almost annually for like my entire life. And uh, not my entire life, but ever since it came out. And I'm just, I'm a bit sort of like, here we go. And then I got into it and I was, it was fine. But Lethal Weapon was the one I was excited about. Okay. So shall we talk about the background to this much loved classic? Do it. Okay, so Shane Black, my um, would-be boyfriend and a friend of the podcast now. Um, (laughs) On what what grounds? Just because you like him a lot. No, 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 because this is his third film. Is that right? Fine. Or fourth? Uh, Monster Monster Squad. Squad, Oh, yes. That's what I'm going to say, friend of the pod. I mean, not because I like him now. I have gone on a journey with that man. Yeah, you did did a whole whole speech about reading his uh, hero speech and falling in love with him. Really, I honestly did because that interview I read with him where he was just modest and wise and he wasn't what I expected from what I'd read about his lifestyle, which is really judgmental of Mm. me. Yeah, and watching his movies. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair to me. (laughs) I know someone who worked with him when he was going through all the parties period and I think I think he is a better person now than he was then yeah. is how I would put it it depends who you mean it depends on your opinion on what makes a better person true that's true yeah <laughs> <laughs> so this is the story um, a year after he graduated from UCLA he as a, he apparently wrote Lethal Weapon in six weeks it was his second screenplay 
So one of his friends, Fred Decker, who Shane Black wrote his first screenplay with, called Shadow Company, helps him find an agent. His agent sends it to Joel Silver and then they develop the script together. So Shane Black wanted to write an urban Western um, inspired by Dirty Harry because of his great love of character-driven films like that and The French Connection and Bullet. Um, and the, what I liked about what I've read around like descriptions of his writing and how he this film sort of set the template for buddy movies, buddy cop movies, but also for his own style of writing I saw a description of his writing as frisky, like not as in horny, but as in like energetic. And mm -hmm. I think that is such a good, apt description of his yeah, writing. I'd agree with that. Uh, so in 1986, Warner Brothers paid $250,000 for it, which is a lot of money now. <laughs> it was a lot of money then. Um, and they gave it to Richard Donner. Uh, apparently Leonard Nimoy was considered for it, but he was doing Three Men and a Baby, so to turn it down. Um, Bruce Willis was almost cast. We know this, don't we? Like, is that, yeah. is that one of those things that's not true? No, but... it's just there's so many casting rumours. Like, and I think it was probably more true that Mel Gibson was almost cast as John McClane in Die Hard okay. than the other way around. Mm. But yeah, very possibly. Yeah, okay. But obviously the part of Riggs goes to Mel Gibson and then Danny Glover comes on board after Richard Donner um, screen tested two of them together and they've just got this unbelievable chemistry. Um, he said they found tears where they didn't exist before and more importantly, they found a relationship all in just one reading. Um, so then you've got your duo. Um, and that's about as much as I've done really on the background. Um, unless you want to talk about other casting stuff uh, because those two are, so, are, are this film, I've kind of left it there. Any more? Uh, no, not really. I remember watching 20 Feet from Stardom, the Oscar-winning documentary, um, and I was fascinated about Darlene Love, who plays uh, Roger Murtong's wife, uh, Mrs. Murtong, the one with the bad cooking. <laughs> yeah. uh, and she's got a fascinating story, which okay. I, it, it's probably for an entirely different podcast, but uh, may I suggest that if you're interested in, in her life story, watch 20 Feet from Stardom, because she worked with Phil Spector, and she was like a ghost singer for a lot of artists oh, really? uh, in her youth, and... Yeah, she's this hugely well-respected singer. She's one of my favourite singers, and she recorded one of the great Christmas songs, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home, which was used very well in Gremlins. Mm, yeah. But beyond that, uh, I just wanted to give her a bit of a mention, because, you know, it's always funny when you go, oh, she's not just his wife in this movie. No, she's yeah. done all sorts of other ah, stuff. Oh, Amazing. She's got an excuse not to be a good cook. <laughs> Her meatloaf or whatever. It's roused. Um, anyway, so let's talk about the film, shall we? Yes. Okay, let's just go through some of the fun bits. Um, so we open with a very pretty lady. Well, let's rewind. What? We open with, I'm not going to let it pass, what? one of the sexiest fonts in the history <laughs> of true. opening titles. <laughs> yeah, Doesn't that true. font just, it's a time capsule, that font. You're yeah. like, Oh, here we are. Yeah. It is 1987, baby. <laughs> Look at that blue fading into that white. Look at the way it arrives on screen. God, I love this movie already. So to go from the font into the saxophone and guitar combo, <laughs> yeah. it's filth. <laughs> <laughs> and very soon it really is. It really is because our lovely lady, she's got beautiful earrings on, but no bra. And that's how you know that something's not quite right. She, she is a one-woman party, though. <laughs> you know, she's having a lovely time. She's having a great time. Seemingly all she alone. She doesn't need anyone there. She's got her Coke. She's got her <laughs> negligee. She's, she's loving life. She is. So this is Amanda. Um, now, it pains me to say things like this, so I won't be too arch, but because of my deep love for Shane Black's writing, there are moments in this script where I was like, oh, come on now, because... This is Amanda, as I've said, but if you missed that, someone is going to tell you this 
frequently throughout the film so you do not miss anybody's relationship to anybody else. So, and I find that just a bit jarring. Like I like to be able to make, you know, I can fill in the gaps mm. by myself, but whatever, it's yeah. fine. It's a little thing. He does love opening a, a movie with uh, someone dead with their boobs out. Though, yeah. Uh, well, specifically a porn star. Yes. Um, and actually re-watching this made me like the nice guys less, I think, because... Um, I, that scene at the beginning of Nice Guys has never really sit right with me. I think it's an odd one. And then to realise he's done it twice, mm. for shock value, he's killed a half-naked porn star in his opening scene. It's yeah. like, come on, Shane. Mm. Although uh, both of them sort of do land in their their, their death position, mm. which could easily be uh, the January photo of their next year's calendar. Which is problematic. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it, oh, yeah. Why have you said that? Because That's I think so it's, it's worth pointing well, it's out. It's done on purpose, I think. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very odd and I don't like it, but... Yeah. And also from a script point of view, Amanda dies jumping from a building. Yeah, or uh, after she's done a lot of cocaine, she has one hell of a nasty come down. <laughs> oh, very uh, good. Thank you. <laughs> but the mystery of the jump is resolved really quickly. So there's actually no point to her jumping if you're going to tie that all up super quick within the next five minutes, which is she would have died anyway because she had drain cleaner in her Yeah, system. I feel like it's unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. The fact that she was going to die anyway, but she jumped. Yeah, so it's why a, do we need to see when you, that? For a first time watch, that's a really confusing thing to get your head around. Yeah, but w- w- what is more of a holy fuck opening that someone sort of slowly going, oh, I don't feel well. That's what, that cocaine was not cocaine. Uh-oh. Uh, and dead. Or falling 30 stories to the ground. That's an opening. But, yeah. but these guys, and we're going to get to Shadow Company, which was the name of that script mm-hmm. that he, he, he carried over. Um, you know, they are trained killer experts. They, they pick very weird and unnecessarily complicated <laughs> ways to kill people. Yeah. The, the, drain, the drain killer in the, in, the, in the cocaine, and then there's a, you know, there's a chopper at a funeral later, and it's like, guys, just, funeral just shoot someone. You guys are soldiers. Just pick a lot, go in quietly, shoot them with a silencer, and leave. Yeah, and also because they, they don't even do it themselves. They employ Dixie. They do. They employ yeah. Dixie. So they could have got Dixie to literally push her off that, that building. Mm. Job done. You get mm. the same spectacular moment, and she still murdered her on their behalf. Yeah. So, are we assuming that Amanda was troubled anyway and was going to kill herself? Because no, I... if that's the case, then the whole drain labor, they were like, we should have just fucking left her to it. Like, the drain cleaner has left a clue that something was afoot. If she was going to jump anyway. Yeah, could... that's true. It just tapped into the. Do you remember when you were growing up? Um, there was this idea if you take drugs you'll think you can fly yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah now is yeah. that from this <laughs> <laughs> that's acid though surely that, that is was acid. just acid there's one person once on acid mm. stepped off a ledge and yeah. I, but I also think that the parents who weren't didn't know uh, the ways and wherefores of drugs thought that getting high as well it was all combined that you could think you could fly because you're high and you it's... were literally high off the ground mm. yeah okay that makes sense um, but yeah, I, I just assume that years and years of being told you'll think you can fly, which isn't true, um, comes from Lethal Weapon. Anyway, so, <laughs> so Amanda's dead. That, that actress, um, by the way, Jackie Swanson, she married Woody on Cheers. She played like the most innocent character in all of TV. Oh, she didn't marry Woody Harrelson in real no, life. She, she married Woody's character, Woody in Cheers. On Cheers. On Cheers. Oh, really? Yeah, so was she a, a recurring character on it then? Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh. I don't recognise her. I just know her from Amanda and Friends. Right. So, <laughs> so anyway, Amanda's death sets the game afoot and we're going to meet our heroes, our cops. So we've got Danny Glover. He's a family man. Mel Gibson smokes in bed and walks about naked. Okay. And See, I'm pointing at you because given 
your weird horror of sleeping naked, but you love smoking. Mm. <laughs> How do you feel about this as a setup? So I've got two things. Uh, like, there is no doubt uh, smoking is perceived as cool in this era <laughs> and these films. I, I genuinely have never seen a, a hero wake up. Wake up. He wakes up with a half-smoked cigarette in his mouth. Is he sleep smoking? Sleep Has he smoking. put that in his mouth and starts smoking? Because it's not. he's like, he goes... Oh, I'm awake. Oh, I'm smoking. Oh, Hello. <laughs> yeah. But of of the two of the two intros, so we've got Mel Gibson waking up. Riggs wakes up and he's got a cigarette in his mouth and he's repulsively naked. And uh, yes, it's it's a big it's a big it's a big red flag for me okay. uh, in terms of relating to this character because I'm like just boxer shorts, trunks, anything. Yeah, anything. When I say trunks, you know, sort of cotton trunks, not swimming trunks. Uh, and then he, he he steps up and he immediately opens a beer. And I'm like this. This is great. I love this. Obviously, to an audience, this is a signal that he's a troubled man. Mm-hmm. I would argue that the person who has a more troubling situation mm. is Danny Glover. Mm. Because how close is that family that they think it's okay to raid his bathroom with a birthday cake when he is naked in the bath? Now, of the people at the start of this movie who we should consider whether they're wearing trunks or not, you've got to hope he's got trunks on in that bath because there are not enough bubbles and that is his adult daughter. His dick is floating. <laughs> the thing is, I was about to be like, that's his kids, it's fine. There is a moment when his daughter comes down the stairs and she's wearing like, is it a prom dress or a new dress or something? Yeah. And the way he looks at it is like he was sexually flustered by it. Do you not think? Doesn't, he, he, doesn't he ask her for some sugar in this scene? Uh, probably. What? I mean, what he should say is, Get the fuck out! I'm in the bath. Yeah, but, but he's got little kids as well. Why I think is he? It's all right. Why is he having a bath before work? <laughs> yeah, a bath's an end of the day thing. It is. It's, well, because people didn't have showers in the eighties. That's not true, is it? The eighties was big on. It's when you. When, it's when showers were invented, isn't it? <laughs> You're from the eighties. But the thing is, I remember my parents buying our electric shower from a door-to-door salesman, and prior to that moment, we had no shower, so we had baths. Yeah. <laughs> It seemed to me at the start of this conversation about his family storming the bathroom that you were kind of okay with it. Yeah, I, yeah. You we, are, aren't you? The thing is... If Mark was in the bath, would it be all right for you and the kids to go in? Of course it would. Now I find that weird. <laughs> you find nakedness weird. No, I, I think the little kids, when the daughter who looks about 21, <laughs> when she, yeah, that's, that's making me a bit uncomfortable. Because okay. she gives him a kiss on the lips as well. And if you're in the bath and you're naked... And, you, and your dick's floating. <laughs> Do they float? Yeah. What, they just detach? They don't detach. They don't detach, but they... Like a bath toy. They float up to the top. Um, sometimes you sort of, you can leave the bathroom and go, oh shit, I, you know, I've forgotten. And you, <laughs> you, have to, you have to go back before it goes down the plug hole. For some people, not me, though. It wouldn't fit. Um, and they, they, they've come in for his 50th birthday. <laughs> oh, dear. It'd just be lying there. Sort like of, a straw. The, just my, not mine, some. some. <laughs> they've come in for his 50th birthday, Alex. Mm. <laughs> but he was 40 when they shot this. Yeah. Making you and I older than the guy who was too old for this shit. He is, yeah. How messed up is that? We are older than Murtaugh. But I think ch- ages have changed, haven't they, over the years? Because 50 is a new 40, <laughs> 40 is a new 30. Yeah, but in this film, it re- he's really meant to be like on his last legs. He's like, I am 50 he's years 40 old. 40 years this old. This is what I am done for. <laughs> I found that I'm, you know, I'm looking at 40. Because he's only, because he's only, that, that actress who plays his daughter, he's actually, in real life, he's only 14 years older than her. Really? Yeah. What's, oh, really? She's older than she's playing and he's playing much younger than he is. Yeah. This is Tracy Wolf who gets an introducing 
Tracy Wolf. Oh, so she's going to be a big deal. Opening titles. And she is a big deal yeah. uh, within the Lethal Weapon franchise. Mm. Right, okay. She's been in all the films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Has but, she? But um, this is all very racially progressive, though, isn't it? That the white guy lives in a trailer, whereas the black guy is a family man in yeah. a nice house. For, for, certainly for the 80s, this is quite ahead of its time, really. And the fact that race never gets mentioned in this film either. Yeah. It's a really nice, refreshing um, take on this, on this friendship. I completely the, agree. Yeah. The, the, the trailer is supposed to be a negative thing, isn't it? That he's living in. Because also, that looks like a really cool I place to live. I was going to say, it's amazing. I would love to live there, wake up and have a beer. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, is it wrong that his entire life is aspirational? I mean, no. you know, take out the dead wife, potentially. Although, you know, sometimes you do just need a break. Every clap. <laughs> have, you, have you seen uh, the deleted scene where he, he picks up a sex worker? No. Yeah, there's a deleted scene where he picks up a girl. He asks her how old she is and she says she's like, 21 or something he says how old are you really she says I'm, are you a cop and he's like no and she says I'm 16 oh no and he pulls out his his police ID and says look uh, oh no no he pulls out money says look I'm going to give you 100 bucks um, all you've got to do is come back to mine and watch TV with me and she says what and he's, he wants her to come back and watch the Three Stooges with him right and sit next to him and watch the telly like his wife used to do gross it's really grim yeah. so I don't want everything in his life <laughs> I yeah. don't want to do that. Isn't it, isn't it weird how hiring a sex worker to, uh, to, to do that is somehow weirder than hiring a sex worker to, to have sex, <laughs> to have sex with, with yeah, it's, yeah, It's sort of more depressing uh, and more like weird. Yeah, It's a trope that um, you see quite a lot when someone's, you know, they don't, they just want to hug or they just want to be touched. They don't want to actually have sex with someone or with a sex worker, but they can't do that any other way. So they just buy it. You see that quite a lot. Fetch my dick that I left in the bath. <laughs> Would you please? <laughs> But this is the thing about trailer. Like, sorry to go off on a tangent, but I love a caravan in holiday, and now I'm not allowed to go on them because Mark thinks they're like low rent. Mm. So we never go in caravans. Whereas I spent my whole youth in a caravan. So when I saw that trailer, I was like, I completely agree with you. It just felt safe. You, well, I didn't you, live in a trailer before you. No, no, I don't know. But you, you, can you not just get a, a, a brochure or some kind of catalogue to show Mark? There are some high-end caravans oh my, now. I've so I've tried. I was like, we could, you know, we can have our own bedroom. Mm. We don't have to sleep on that flip-down thing yeah. in the whatever. But he won't do it. But it's snobbishness. We used to have a camper van, and apparently that's fine. But the minute it can't move, he doesn't like it. Right. And also, when I said brochure or catalogue, you could just use the internet. Could uh, you use, yeah, m- modern, fine. modern people. <laughs> Anyway, so what we need to do is establish how crazy um, Riggs is. So there's a scene here where he tries to buy a hundred grand's worth of Christmas trees. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Cocaine. Um, so that's just to establish he's a live wire, and but he's funny with it. And but we move quite quickly from he, that scene. In that scene, he eats the cocaine, doesn't he? Yeah, he tries a little he bit. He tries a bit. He, yeah. It's quite a lot he eats, though. <laughs> I, I just wonder, what would that do to you, eating a big lump of cocaine? Oh, listen to the ingenue in the corner. What, what would that do? I mean, I, I no, can't but I I've never heard of anyone eating it, though. I well, know what happens when it goes in your nose. Well, no, but the thing is, if you... Uh, uh, the thing is, if, Yeah, but if you taste it, you can, like, it going in your nose, it can still be cut with other things that give you the same high as cocaine, like Novocaine or something, but mm. tasting it... If you know cocaine, it will taste different. It will taste like it's cut. So that's why you put it in your mouth or rub it on your Okay, so it'll have the same effect putting a... Yeah, yeah. It's a big lump he puts in there. So no wonder he's acting like the Three Stooges. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, I agree. I mean, but I think he'd do that anyway. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. um, He's not a man who you'd want to hang out with on coke. (laughs) Oh, no. I wouldn't even want to go for half a lager with him, to be honest. How many guns do you have? (laughs) Uh, but we move from the Christmas tree scene 
two. Are you skirting over uh, all of uh, the whole uh, my wife can't cook stuff? Because pretty much all my notes are every time. Go for it, go for it. I'm just saying that uh, we start off where uh, there's the whole dropping the egg on the floor at the start. (laughs) Uh, uh, Mrs. Murtong drops the egg on the floor, Mm -hmm. which now when we get into the number of times this comes up, I don't want to say that I'm basically saying she is a bad cook and and that it's fine what they do, which is constantly reference what a bad cook she is. No one bats an eyelid when she drops that egg. Not even her. She drops an egg and just carries on, which makes me think it happens a lot, which okay. makes me think that perhaps she is a shit cook. <laughs> if she just, oh, there's another egg I lost. It, it makes me feel a bit sick though. Like an, an egg on the floor is so upsetting to me. And this, I'm jumping ahead, but I don't care. There's a scene later where, um, what's he called? Bruni gets shot with the helicopter and he's drinking eggnog from a carton. And I thought <laughs> I was going to be sick in my mouth. That makes me feel violated. Horrendous. The egg on the floor, is that because... Well, it's very you, slippy for a start. It's, you, it's dangerous. Not, nothing to do with you being a mother. Sort of life, like the, the loss of life. It's like not even being eaten by someone. So that could have been a baby. and A baby chicken. A baby chicken. Still a baby. I know what I'm doing here is sort of trying to separate you or motherhood mm. from your hatred of living creatures. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. Is that what you're doing? God, no. No, no. <laughs> no it's just slippy and weird. Right. And an egg on the floor looks weird and okay. upsetting. Okay. And I don't think she's a bad cop. I think she should, you know, keep her house in order and clean that home. But maybe. he does say to her, she's like, I'm thinking of going on Jeopardy. And his first response is, don't pick any questions about cooking. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Now you've distracted me. Where am I up to? Okay, anyway, this is a bigger scene than that. Stop going on about eggs and cooking. It's not important. All right. The important scene next is that um, Riggs tries to kill himself, but doesn't. That's an important scene. He's so good in that scene. He's really good. And now it's so much longer than I remember it being. Like, And it's really uncomfortable mm. and very... The only bit I'm not sure about in that scene is the indecisiveness between head and mouth. Well, why? I think you should know. I think I, I think it's a great scene and I think he's brilliant, but he's got it against his head. He's like... He's like you, you want him to be just thinking about whether or not he's going to do it. Yeah. Not whether or not he's going to use his head or his mouth. But isn't that to show that he, because there's a scene with Myrtle later where he's like, you'll, you'll get it wrong. It will go through your cheek. So he's realised that he has to do it a different way for it to work. You'd assume Riggs would know that because he's he would. such he's a, a super trained badass. killer. Yeah, he's a trained killer. Uh, you've skipped over our meeting of Dixie. Oh, yeah. We do meet Dixie. Um, she plays a sex worker. Mm-hmm. Um not her most famous sex worker role, the actress, uh, Ly- Lycia Naff. Such rich name. pickings, weren't there, in the mm. 80s for, for female actors? But you'll love uh, her most famous sex worker role. Tell me. Dixie, the actress who plays Dixie, yeah. also plays Mary, the triple-breasted prostitute from mm. Total Recall. Oh, really? <laughs> sex, sex worker from Total Recall. <laughs> You're so partridge. I, I say that all the time. You really can be very partridge sometimes. Mm, Martian tits. <laughs> I wish I had three hands. Oh dear. But this, so this is what I'm saying about the script sometimes doing a, a bit of show and a bit of tell, which I understand. But if we've had the show, we don't need the tell. So Riggs has tried to kill himself and doesn't do it. And it's a very moving scene. And then you go almost immediately to um, a very on-the-nose psych evaluation where the precinct psychiatrist, psychologist, whoever she is, is saying, he's on the edge, he'll attempt suicide. And it's like, we know, we just saw it. What's interesting about that is uh, the captain uh, appears to be, because he becomes like a great friend, an ally of um, Riggs and Murtong over the course of the franchise. But in that scene, he seems to be suggesting that Riggs is faking it. 
to yes. create a to to claim a psych pension, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting because that's his only appearance in this movie, and he's a much bigger character in the rest of the franchise. Yeah, I like the my favorite line in this is uh, she says his wife of eleven years died. So the suggestion being, if they'd only been married ten minutes, <laughs> he's not allowed to be sad. <laughs> It's not as sad. Do you not think? Yeah. It's still his wife. I don't know. I just found that a bit like, just cut the man some they, slack. They do kind of pitch the psychotherapist as a villain in this film, though, mm. when actually she said exactly the right thing. This guy should not be out in the field. True, yeah. Um, but yeah. She gets uh, she gets short shrift as the series goes on as she well. She does. They, they really, she's in love with Riggs, isn't it? Yeah. They, they, yeah. They, they turn her into a, a, a real uh, punching bag. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like setting up rigs, after we've set up all this, then we get the big exposition chat, don't we? In the car park when they walk into the yes. car, where we learn that he's a, a kick-ass shot, a sniper, knows martial arts, did assassinations in Vietnam, should be registered as a lethal weapon. Oh nice. yeah, I put that in red. Yeah, yep. I love it when they say their title. I mean, that's the thing with that scene. There's a lot of gun banter, which made absolutely no sense to me because I don't know anything about guns. Well, a hollow point, that'll, uh, that'll make sure that uh, it definitely kills you. Why? Because oh, of lethal weapon. Ooh, lethal weapon. <laughs> yeah, that's very tough. But the point of the scene is obviously to establish, you know, you've got your duo together, but they've got conflicting paths. So Myrtle wants an easy life and Riggs is capable of anything which would upset the easy life option, which is brilliant, you know, to, to blend those two things. Yeah, Riggs has the more interesting character. It, it appears, yeah. I mean, obviously they complement each other, but you've got this guy whose wife has died. He's got a death wish, but he's so fucking good at his job. Yeah. And then you've got Roger, who's a bit a bit tired, a bit old, and hates his wife's cooking. And hates his wife's cooking. He's only wise. And and Riggs is Eric Morecambe. Like you've got to have the straight man. You've got yeah. to have the funny man. And this, the script does yeah. a brilliant job of he's, you've got enough of yeah. You've got enough of both of them because you do care about Murtaugh hmm. making it through the day, even though he's got he's saddled with this lunatic. But if it was just too much lunacy, you would be fatigued with it after a while. Like, you the, wouldn't care. Danny Glover is there to react, and react he does. Sure does. He reacts big and large <laughs> and strong and powerfully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then the next scene that I think we should talk about, which I think is the key scene in this film, is the do you really want to jump scene? Mm. Would you like to talk about that? Mm. I would, uh, just before that scene. If this you... is about cooking, I'm going to get mad, but go on. <laughs> it's not. Uh, did you see what was playing at the cinema? behind them when no. they are walking to the suicide jumper it is uh, The Lost Boys is it? The Lost Boys is on at the cinema I got really confused oh no it's because of Richard Donner isn't it? Uh, it's because uh, uh, also uh, they're both Warner Brothers movies and so even though this came <laughs> right. out before Lost Boys so I just went how is Lost Boys on at that cinema because I'm an idiot I was like how is Lost Boys on at that cinema it wasn't out at this point and it's uh, a little advert within the movie any so. opportunity mm. yeah so the do you really want to jump scene um, Riggs and Myrtle are sent to talk down a jumper um, Riggs very cocksure bowls onto the roof so here we've got a man who we know wants to commit suicide coming to the rescue of a man who we know wants to commit suicide excellent good setup. yeah yes um, Riggs greets him says Merry Christmas <laughs> which is good <laughs> because it's disingenuous and therefore it's odd and it's very funny um, but then obviously with the setup that you know of Riggs because he hasn't got any fear so he's not he's, he's not that he's not scared of death because he doesn't kill himself but he's not scared enough of death mm. in the way that a normal person is um, he gets on the ledge and then he uses empathy to sort of connect with the jumper and then says which is a really important line it's not like you're murdering anyone like well, I get it you've done nothing wrong it's not like you're murdering anyone and then promptly more or less handcuffs them together so now you've got does the suicidal man want to be a murderer or does he still care enough about consequences 
um, and other people, which is what your script is asking you to ask of Riggs at that point. So the characters are mirrored, mm. which is excellent. Um, they argue. The jumper calls Riggs a psycho and then says, fuck you, I'm going to jump. And then Mel Gibson does his full I'm really batshit mad <laughs> impression, which is, do you really want to jump? But then as the audience, at that point, if you haven't seen it before, you are gripped because what you've seen is a man perform a bluff and has it massively backfired. Mm. Um, and then Riggs makes them jump, make him the man realise he didn't want that all along, and then they land on the inflatable. I've called it a safety mat, but I don't actually know what that is. A crash mat? But a crash mat isn't inflatable, or is it? I think you can have a variety of crash mats. Um... From your history as a... Gold well, medallion-winning gymnast, a gold medallion-winning gymnast, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a gold uh, gymnast, yeah, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and obviously, you know, I, I worked in a gym for a long time, um, so <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> so, why his arms are so big? <laughs> that's why. Uh, yeah, I mean, I worked into a, gy- I worked in a gym until they, uh, it was proved that I couldn't do press ups because of my. Uh, you didn't work in a gym. My dense bones. No, I didn't work in a All gym. Right. All right. Vicky, <laughs> I would have liked to have known why this guy wanted to jump. Personally, I would have liked a, a little bit, like because yeah. I, I, you have to basically make up your own idea of why you think he wants to jump. And the only thing you can base it on is his appearance. And I think it's his hair. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I honestly think it's, it's the 80s. Bad hair was everywhere. His hair is so high mm, yeah, that but I think he's in constant pain yeah, that from wasn't the weight ba- on his neck. That wasn't bad hair then. I think it was. That was good hair then. I think it, even within the confines of 1987, he's got terrible hair and he's blown all his money on gel. And he's a, they say he's a salesman, so that's why he's doing it. There's yeah. something gone wrong. Something's yeah. gone wrong. Yeah. Um, interestingly, there was another scene that introduced uh, Riggs that got cut from the film. Have you seen this where he goes to a school? <laughs> yep. Um, and no. so there's a yeah there's what a bloke idea. <laughs> there's a bloke at a school shooting children. What? Yeah, so it's grimly uh, grimly ahead of its time that scene yeah. is really, and and so all the police are waiting for backup for the SWAT team to arrive. Riggs gets there and just walks straight up to in front of the bloke. The bloke's up on high and he just stands there, and the guy starts shooting at him and he can't hit him. And Riggs just takes out his gun and takes the guy out, and then he's walking away. And then some of the lines are a bit on the nose. A, a cop who's running past him go goes, "You're a dumb son." Son of a bitch, but you're good. <laughs> you're a lethal weapon. It's, it is, it's a really good scene, that scene, because he, he sort of gets there and there's a sniper and he's like, it's the SWAT team on its way? And they're like, we don't have an ETA yet. And he's like, well, there's not a lot I can do if it's a sniper, so I'm going to go. And it's only when like uh, one of the cops carries like a wounded child past him who's screaming that he goes, all right, I'm going to have to step up. But he does ask some pertinent questions, which makes you go... He's not just like mm. a, 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 just crazy because yeah. he sort of goes. He says to them, "How good a shot is he? How is he firing? How how long is it taking to reload? Have you seen the weapon?" So he's not just risking everything. And when he he walks up, the guy just opens fire on him, but misses every time because of the information Riggs knew beforehand. Okay, and a little bit of luck. But I don't think it's necessary. I can see why they cut it because this scene does a good job of telling us similar things about Riggs. I would say mm. this scene does such a good job that I would lose the Christmas tree stuff because. All you need to Agreed. establish is that Riggs is nuts and Murtar needs to see it and we don't actually need the Christmas tree stuff. Agreed. And this plays a big part in the trailer, but this is one of those scenes where you could have this could have been the trailer. Yep. You could have just put this scene in cinemas, put Lethal Weapon at the end of it and people would have gone to see it because it gives you exactly what the film is and it's really exciting and it's funny and it's invigorating and it's like, this is Lethal Weapon. Yeah. It's... The reason that you can't lose the Christmas tree scene though, and I will agree that it's it's not very clear... 
but he's uh, in uh, narcotics at that point, and he loses his position in that department to become Murtong's partner because mm-hmm. of that Christmas tree scene. So what? You don't need to see it. Do you not? No, you don't. The important beat is that he'll do anything. He's nuts. If he loses his job and ends up in one department, you can be told that in five mm-hmm. seconds. I know it's all. I know show don't tell, but to save five minutes and not to repeat the beat, mm. I would Shane, if you're listening. Um, cut it. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing? Listen, um, what are you doing for Christmas? <laughs> so then we've got, so that establishes Merton knows what Riggs is capable of. Interestingly, he's the guy that can get the job done because of how he is. So that's something that will come in handy later. There's that weird scene. I find it weird. It's the brinkmanship between them about, is he really going to kill himself? It's great. It's good. It's powerful. And it's very um, gripping. But I felt like it was just a repetition of something I already know. So, but but the bit where he, Riggs pulls the trigger, and it's only because Murtong has his thumb yeah. in the the I don't know the gun terminology, but the cock. Let's say. <laughs> I bet it's no, not cock. You call it you cock a gun. You do anyway. He fires, and Murtong's <laughs> he's got his finger in his cock. Um, He's got his dick in the bar. From the plug hole. God, what a friend. <laughs> but, like, Riggs kills himself. As far as he's concerned, he's pulled the trigger. Okay. And he doesn't know that Murtong's finger is is there to stop it. So I think that reestablishes straight after the suicide scene that, no, like, he's not just using it as, like, his death wish is real. Mm. Yes, agreed. Okay, let's talk more about death wishes after a short break. This, this week, week on Stakhanov. Between the Lines with Melissa Reddy releases a brand new episode exploring the hot topic of head injuries in football. As well as exploring the sports link with dementia with neuropathologist Dr. Willie Stewart, Melissa spoke to ex-Tottenham star Ryan Mason, who was forced to retire after a devastating head injury aged 26. I couldn't look at light. I was sleeping for like 20 hours a day. I couldn't really hold a conversation. Um, like I say, when, when the brain gets an injury, the body almost just instinctively responds and it it almost just shuts everything else down. Meanwhile, self-care club Wellness Road Tested have launched a brand new epilogue show. Join Lauren and Nicole every Friday where they'll be hearing about your experiences, talking to the experts and reading the very best wellness literature in the self-care book club. I think it's a totally life-changing book for sisterhood and womankind. It's revolutionary in how to adopt self-love and live for who you are. Search Between the Lines and Self-Care Club on your favourite podcast player. All that and more at Sukarnov. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honouring highly requested new colours for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Okay, so the next, this section then is about bringing Riggs and Murtaugh together and there's a bit of plot about this sort of crime business that's going on, which takes a, it, it takes a huge backseat to their friendship together, as proven by the scene where they go to, I keep calling that the swimming pool house scene. Yeah. There's a section of the script that goes around on the internet about why Shane Black is such a good writer, which is his scene description of this swimming pool house and the famous line which sort of breaks the fourth wall of script reading, which is, it looks like a great place to have sex. The kind of place I'll buy if this script, if this movie is a big hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very cheeky and something that I find irksome, but because it's him, it's fine. Yeah, you've said this before because I read that and I was like, shit, that's how you should really sell a script. You need to be so good. Right. <laughs> it's on every page. <laughs> Alex is making a personal comment. <laughs> because it's so... I know it's ridiculous, but mm. it, it, it vaults the... Posi- you know, there's a position of privilege when you're reading the script and the position of like powerlessness because you someone's written it. You have the power in that moment. Is it a pass or not? Yeah. And to vault over that and be like, hey, hey, wink, wink. But it's where he, yeah, he even sort of acknowledges the person reading it directly and, and says a, a super smart script reader like I'm sure you are will already know that. But if you're not, you just have to be so good because you just be like, oh, sh- stop it. <laughs> but anyway, you know, he's good enough. I mean, plenty good enough. So when they get to the swimming pool house, the point of this scene is that Riggs is going to save Murtaugh's life. But there isn't a clue that they pick up to further the mystery. They just get shot at. And the point is one of them is now save the life of the other. Do you know what I mean? They're not like, oh, because we've been here, we know this kind of thing. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 I'll I'll be completely honest with you. I got a bit lost with the plot in Lethal Weapon at times. I was yeah, like, me too. What's going on? I think the problem is that the bad guys don't show up for, or at least after they show up, they're then absent for a huge part of this film, like longer than feels acceptable as we learn about Riggs and Murtong and them forming this bond. You are going, right, okay, but now they, well, I've got their bond. They've got a bond. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Now give them something to sort of fight with this new bond that yes, they have. Agreed, like, yeah. Bring in General McAllister. Where's Gary fucking Boosie? Yeah. Bring him back. Yeah, the, the baddies aren't in it enough. Yeah, and uh, although that swimming pool death is, I I still find it really disturbing. It's really scary because Awful. of the plastic sheeting. That's it's the bit. so scary. Mm, yeah, it's why the, is it covered with plastic sheeting anyway? To that... stop leaves and, and mm. do you know? Do you know own a pool? Uh, to stop <laughs> leaves. And I live in a caravan. I don't de- <laughs> debris. The sea is your pool. <laughs> Nature is my gym. While we're at it, <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it's awful. Although I would I would argue there's a really futile sort of rescue attempt. He's just been shot three times in the chest, <laughs> yeah, and then he falls into the pool, and they're like, oh, he might drown. <laughs> <laughs> they drag him out and go, nope, the bullets killed him. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's a good point. Um, so he's dead, and we we sort of clear up that Murtar believes that's kind of the end of the mystery because. All the bad guys, it was that bad guy that sort of did the drugs thing and it's, he's responsible for Amanda's death, which takes place in a conversation that Riggs and Myrtle have after Riggs has been over for dinner and they're on the boat in the driveway, chilling out, having a beer and having a drink. Um, I think the point of this is that, what is, oh God, what's his daughter's name? Rianne. Rianne. So she comes out and she, uh, uh, Danny Glover and her have a bit of back and forth but she got caught smoking weed in the house. Mm. And he's telling her off about that. And she's like, you're allowed to drink beer on the driveway. Why am I not allowed to do this? And it's just to show a bit of father and daughter like back and forth. But I did think, and I like this a lot, there's meant to be a parallel running with uh, Amanda and the idea that and fathers and daughters and that daughters, that's what's basically what starts with a bit of weed ends up with 
mm. earrings and no bra and a high dive off a building because of drug misuse. Do you not think? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I was more fascinated with the fact that uh, there's a bit about her cooking. Oh, again. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's a good bit, this bit, because he's slagging off her cooking in front of Riggs and she actually does say to him, Mrs. Murtong says to him, um, you're being an asshole, Roger, which I yeah. think is nice. Well, he's showing off, isn't he? He's yeah. showing off in front of his new friend. Exactly. Um, but that moment they share on the boat, I think, although it doesn't, as you say, it doesn't really further the plot in any way. I feel like it's where, it's one of those moments where the film comes to life. I think those scenes are why the, the this film had a bunch of sequels. Right, It's yeah. because of that friendship. It's because we didn't focus on the villains well, or the plot. Well, it's not the plot, is it? Because it's not no. the world's most exciting, like, yeah. who done it or... We like spending time with these two guys. And so by putting in... Those, and and th- those films became all about those moments. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What was nice, though, was uh, over the course of the sequels, watching Rogers at House expand. Because he's got, <laughs> he's, got, he's got a boat on the driveway in this one, but then he got a whole extension in mm. one of the later ones. It's really cool. It does become... The Lethal Weapon series, watched back-to-back, is really good fun because it is like a soap opera with a lot of shooting. <laughs> um, and then so we've got more scenes where we see uh, Riggs and Murdoch together again. So they go to the shooting range. Um, and that's a bit of dick waving about who's best at shooting a bit of paper well we get a little bit of plot development here because um weirdly for a, a family that like to raid the bathroom and uh, see roger in the bath uh, at any opportunity he then opens his birthday presents on his own which seems like a really strange thing to do oh yeah you're right uh, but one of those is the evidence uh, yes the video cassette amanda and friends um, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. which uh, a pornographic video, uh, which he then proceeds to watch in the living room. Yeah, but I just, <laughs> yeah, but you're right. TV. Yeah, but it could be. Where else like, could oh, he watch it? It's like 1986. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. he looks sad. He doesn't look like oh, little perk. <laughs> <laughs> like, he does look sad, doesn't he? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He did. Yeah, of course he, he does look. He, he does look sad. I mean, I, you know. Did he know it was porn when he put it in? Uh, I'm not sure. Amanda and Friends to me sounds like a Nickelodeon show. Um, it doesn't sound like porn. It sounds like the kind of time you get caught out by sort of going, ooh, in the night garden. What's that? Whoa, hey, <laughs> just hey, saying. back off. I was Pink, watching Pinky that. and Perky. <laughs> Dogs. <laughs> I'm just saying. Maca Paca. Why do you know so much about the night garden? Anyway, whose kids have you been? Because <laughs> I went into I went into a, 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 a rental shop and I went. I'd like something sexy, and uh, I got conned in the night garden. Uh, it does oh, sound it's not sexy. Pretty sexy, no. Did you audition for in the night garden? <laughs> That's a sheepish smile, did what? you? What on earth are you talking about? Hey. <laughs> yeah, when I lost my job at the gym, <laughs> I auditioned for In the Night I Garden. I haven't seen you for a bit. It's like I've forgotten everything about you. It's so weird. Right, anyway. Um, well, the shooting range is cool. The shooting range is cool. It goes on a bit long. Yeah, and also Tackleberry, uh, I remember him doing it in Police Academy 6, City Under Siege, <laughs> which uh, he sort of does it better. Yeah. Um, uh, but that was when the rot really set into the Police Academy series. Uh, so Dixie's house blows up, um, which enables Riggs and Murtaugh to interrogate a six-year-old for ages. <laughs> and puts them on Mr. Uh, Mr. Joshua's radar. Yeah, but there's, I think, I think there's naughty. a mistake here, which is... Uh, Murtaugh goes in to talk to the kid because he's a family man. He's like, he's kind of like, I've got this. So why is he not then sort of usurped by Riggs being like, we haven't got time for this shit and just doing the thing that he does, which would be to scare the kid and like make him tell. But he doesn't. He just sort of leans on the fire truck thing in the background and, and waits for this child to tell them what they need to know. But that tattoo moment, it's, it gives me goosebumps still where the kid just goes, it looked exactly like that and points at his special forces tattoo. 
I liked it. They also use a dad's army joke, which is don't don't tell him your name, Alfred. Don't tell him your name, Pike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets a bit political. Mama says policemen kill black people. Yeah. Mm, yes the kids are brilliant there I think they're really funny they're those really kids. cute yeah. and funny yeah, yeah a good team there is uh, some uh, outdated dialogue when Murtong is trying to put out Riggs's coat on the lawn of Dixie's mm. house mm-hmm. yeah um, so then the plot just goes bananas so Gary Busey shoots someone from a helicopter at a funeral while they're holding a carton of eggnog <laughs> Mm. So this is uh, this is Michael Hodsacker, Amanda's dad, uh, who who decides to take a, a meeting in a, a room perfectly designed to be killed by a yeah. dude in a helicopter at a funeral. <laughs> like, I, but like, I, what, I mean, you've got to imagine if you're working in a dangerous industry, the glaziers when they were putting in those windows must have said. Just that uh, we have to ask this. Um, we have to ask this. But do you think there's any chance in the future you will be killed by a guy in a helicopter? Because Bullets go right through these. <laughs> they just go right through them. You should be warned. Whether or not you're drinking eggnog, <laughs> they're just going to go. They're going to go right through these. Oh, I was obsessed with. It. I was like, do you think it's warmed? I just oh, like his hands had warmed. Do you really it. hate eggnog? I really, really hate it. Oh, yeah, okay. I really hate it. I've got a, a horror of it because it's like the thing that aunties always have. But it's like you know, you know, some aunties or elder relatives they won't get rid of stuff past its sell by date. And there's always a bottle of Advocar just mildewing on the sideboard. <laughs> and that's the but that's the only booze. So when you go around, you're fucking dying for a drink. But it's like eggnog or nothing. And then it's like, how much do I want to drink? A lot. Yuck. Just yuck. And I've never seen it in a carton. Don't you call it a snowball? Um, <laughs> yeah. What? Why nothing. are you laughing? In my mind, I, I've... <laughs> The f- the first reference the first reference point I have for snowball is something different than it should be and I don't want to say it so oh. I think we should just move on. <laughs> right. If you want to know what it is, watch Clerks. Uh, that's yeah. where it came from. I know now. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't How mean to make to. something bad worse. <laughs> um, so Riggs is this moving on kickass special forces guy. Yeah. He is super well trained. He knows everything. He's an assassin. He can make them. shots that only. Eight out of ten people, eight, eight or ten people in the world can make. Right. Yeah. There's Since about, he was 19 there's, years There's about old. eight guys in the world who have, could have yeah. made that shot. That he made in now. Right. <clears throat> so he's got all of that. But there is one weakness, which is that he can't hear a helicopter approaching <laughs> that is massive despite standing mm. outside about <laughs> ten metres from it. Because it's not like it literally just comes up from behind the cliff mm. and he's like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> you had one job. Don't let him die. Look out for helicopters. Yeah. There's, there's, are they in the desert? Where are they? They're in the desert, aren't they? That's later. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. So yeah. I'm talking I'm talking about um, Murtaugh's daughter being kidnapped and we've got the sort of sharpshooter in the desert scene. Um, End of seven vibes. I got to that. Yeah, sequence. that's a good point. Mm. And inexplicably, they're not shot on the spot. Like, I did. Yeah. I lost the thread of the plot. Like they're like, don't kill Murtaugh for some reason, and get Riggs, and we'll go to. And I like the torture scene, but it's like let's keep them alive for some reason. Can we not call this the worst thought through plan in the world? It, from the minute it starts, <laughs> I just do not see what their plan was. It seems like. We want to do this cool thing in a desert, so yeah. we're just going to go out there. Was Riggs meant to kill all of the bad guys and then Roger and his daughter just were going to escape? Yeah. Because, and because it's like, and, and then it's scuppered because Riggs doesn't tell Roger not to stand in the fucking way. <laughs> He's like, oh shit, move left, move, to the left. move left, move left. 
Give him a little little tiny transistor radio in your ear because yeah. the mobile phones in this look portable. <laughs> Although you do get a helicopter chasing a big limo type. Yeah. Thing, and that looks, it still looks amazing. That's cool. And we've got a homoerotic relationship building here between Riggs mm. and uh, Mr. Joshua. Yeah. Who, he claims that he ran into him and his company back in 69 in mm. Vietnam. Uh, Mel Gibson would have been 13 years old then <laughs> when he was a sharpshooter. Yeah. None yeah. of the ages make sense. He's playing, th- that. he's playing 38 in this film and he was 30 at the time so none of the ages make sense in this movie because he said that he was 19 in this Mm. time and yeah he would have been a baby yeah he also says uh, the second time Mr Joshua uh, shoots him through the shop window and Merton goes was it him and he goes yes and he says the line I never forget an asshole He's good though, isn't he, Busey? Here we I talk a lot about how these, you know, this kind of film only really works if the villain's good. Yeah, and he doesn't get much screen time, but he does a lot with that screen time. It's very memorable him burning, his, you know, burning his arm. It's stupid, and, but it's memorable. Yeah, but it's 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 so stupid. It's like why would like it's like, something you can go and try in the playground afterwards, which is all what, kids want. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I just but it's the bit where he does it, and then he goes. Yeah, you better go get that looked at. <laughs> he's your, he's your second in command. Take a week off, to be honest. That's going to really sting. <laughs> You're fired, Joshua. You know, you can't you, use that arm. You're not going to be able to fire a gun. I'll fire a gun with accuracy for, for months. Yeah, that's a good point. Why did I do that again? <laughs> really get that look. Go, go straight away. Can someone call 911? <laughs> Boss, why do you keep burning our guys? That's the thing. I'd forgotten that's the that. third like... Mr. Joshua. Joshua this week. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, you see, his skin doesn't melt, but it does melt, same as anybody else's. Um, so we get to the torture scene. Um, <laughs> what has that made you have? It's just the way it's introduced. It get, like, it's supposed to sound really like, uh-oh, menacing. When Mr. Joshua goes, Endo has forgotten more about dispensing pain than you or I will ever know. It, but it just makes it sound like, but he has remembered some. <laughs> no, right? Otherwise, this is going to be so easy. He's retained some information because otherwise, he's just going. It's just going to be like you in a shower for a bit with him rubbing you with a sponge with a scouring pad. Mm. Yeah. Is there something because I like the torture scene? I like all of that, but Mel Gibson is being rubbed down with the scouring pad, and as Danny Glover just be as he just got salt being poured on him. Like, I think it's lie. Isn't oh it? fuck! All right, that's awful. Obviously, but. It's very like homemade torture, like torture for beginners. Like if you're short of equipment, you may have something in the under sink cupboard that can help you with this. And also, like we've established, Gary Boosie basically goes, Endo knows more than me about torturing or you, but mainly me. And then the minute (laughs) Endo starts torturing him, Gary Boosie does not let him do it. He's a backseat torturer. He's yeah. like, hit him again. Do it again. Push him this way. I've got an electrocuted myself. I'm doing was, it. Was that in the script or do you think Boosie just did <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah. But do you think they pulled back in the script because there's no blood, there's no like removal, of, there's no sounds, you know, like torture scenes. I always find very difficult because I'm scared of torture. I'm like sure this person. scene got cut. And I don't, I'm not going on the record here, but I just seem to remember there was a longer version of this scene, I think. Yeah. Because there's no like cracking noises, crunching, whatever. It's electricity. And obviously that must hurt, but it doesn't to watch. It's not too gory. It's quite palatable, weirdly. Now, am I right in thinking all of this torture um, happens in the basement uh, of a a nightclub that the mercenaries also run? Of course. Okay, good. Yeah. Good, but not sort of, (laughs) not what, it doesn't seem to be a commercial nightclub. It seems to be a sort of rock and roll nightclub. They never are. Though, are they? It's just for band practice, isn't it? <laughs> like, 
Like the band that's on at the start is sort of like very alternative. Well, like, it's on Sunset. They're on Sunset Strip, though, aren't they? Mm. Which was quite a rocking place back in the eighties. It's quite different. True. It's where Guns and Roses got their start. Yeah, that's what I thought of when I was watching it. Yeah. Do you know uh, what show Blur gave their first ever TV performance in the UK on? No. Eggs and Baker. Is that true? True, yeah. <laughs> you being serious? No, they really, they, Blur's first television appearance was on Eggs and Baker performing. Is that performing. in your notes? Or is that no from your brain? Uh, it was when I was researching Eggs and Baker for this episode. <laughs> What's um, Eggs and Baker? Have I missed this? Eggs and Baker, we were talking about at the start. Cheryl Baker Cheryl from Baker. Buck's right. Fizz okay. hosted a, a children's cookery show on Saturday mornings called Eggs and Baker. Mm. Okay. It's not movies. That's probably why you're a bit confused. No, I'm a big Baker fan. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, okay. That one, not this one. <laughs> uh, so, um, I think it's a bit of a shame that Roger doesn't get to save his own daughter, but he does say, there's no more heroes left in this world, and then Riggs breaks down the door with the corpse of his torturer, <laughs> and that is fucking amazing. <laughs> you, I mean, you can't beat that, can no. you? <laughs> Uh, so then we've got a bit of a chase and then the big uh, big the chase, the, the chase that Shane Black wrote into the last Boy Scout and the nice guys yeah um, where you kind of uh, apprehend a villain with gunfire on an overpass bridge and then makes him yep. jump I mean he just does it over and over again it's mad to think how and also so sort of Rewatching this is how often he he does the double act with one of them completely damaged okay I think half of his films yeah. have used that as, as, as the as the through line so yeah, I guess write what you know or write what you're good at. The best thing about the chase for me is I think this was the first time I'd ever seen an action hero really fucking pegging it on screen. Yeah. When Mel Gibson he's runs, got such springy little legs, isn't he? He's really running. He's really fast. You see that sort of a slow mo or sort yeah. of like a very action movie run. This and then Bad Boys. Will Smith does it in Bad Boys as well. Great and runners. It's, yeah, it's. I think it's really important to feel that sort of velocity and like the intention. Yeah, this is a really geeky script moment, but just hear me out. And I hope it's true. But in reading around this, so we know that Shane Black's final script for Warner Brothers was a bit different from the one that they bought, obviously having to go through like, some development. And apparently, and I don't know if this is true, but they had a bit of a wobble and they're like, look, this isn't what we signed up for. There was a turn of phrase he wrote. And I was reading this, I was like, this, I wonder if this is better be good. And it kind of convinced them that he, you know, he, he did have the goods and he knew what he was doing during this car crash scene. And uh, the turn of phrases and the cars trade paint. And when I read that, I was like, that, that is just, oh my God, I find that so sexy. <laughs> I just find sexy as in like, it's accomplished, it's skilled. It just, it, I get why you'd read that one thing and be like, you are rehired forevermore. Like, I love it. Is there something, I don't know. Do you know no, what I mean? I like it as well. It's yeah. gorgeous, isn't it? Like, yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah, I know. Anyway. But because it makes you, I, I mean, to a script reader, I'm guessing, if it's a turn of phrase that you would never normally, you, you know, no, you, wouldn't. you know, it made it makes you go, this fucking guy knows his shit. Yeah, that's probably that something that people say, like who know about cars in car chases that I'm just not aware of. It's just unusual. Mm. It's concise. It's visual. It's lovely. Mm. Um, I was so jealous mm. when I read that. Um, you know, he doesn't listen to the podcast, right? I just want you to know it's 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 just going out there into the ether. Yeah, I know. Not yet. Someone I mean, might yet. pass it on to him eventually. But. <laughs> Um, anyway. Do you want to trade paint, Shane? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, no! It's not. It's not that kind of love I have for him. Right. Okay. It's a. It's a. Yeah. 
a mentor a mentee kind of relationship yeah. I like to think and it could uh, develop you know how they interrupt. they do don't they <laughs> yeah, yeah. frequently um. there was a warm fire and then before I knew what I was, was doing half of love actually wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway yeah. um, so <laughs> so we're back at Murtaugh's home now fine his daughter's been kidnapped they go home to sort of catch Gary Busey I like all of this. I like them leaving a note for him that's like, what does it say? We're dear bad guys, dear no bad one guys. here but us cops. Sorry, yeah. the good guys. So the 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 trouble for me is that it repeats the beat because we've already been to his house and if it's, that's, that's where Act 3 is going to happen, the house should be sacred ground somehow. It should be like, oh my God, they've finally gone to my house. But we've already been there. So mm. it's like, mm, okay, I don't feel as um, scared for you as I would have done if this was like the first time. Um, they drive a car through the front of the house just to sneak up on Gary Busey. <laughs> I love it, but that is what happens. Um, and then we get a highly sexed bare chest fist fight in the rain in the mud. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a fan of this fight. No. I'm, a, I'm sort of. I feel like I'm a bit spent at this point, and you know that Riggs is going to win, and it goes on quite a long time, and I don't like the way it looks either. I find like the spotlight from the helicopter. Like flashing across the camera lens, quite distracting. Okay, I mean, my I don't mind the fight. What I find, uh, what stretches my incredulity too much, and I'm happy to suspend my disbelief. And you can drive a car through the front of your own house or whatever. Is that Murtaugh has to say to the other police officers, like, "This is my scene. This is my scene. Stand back." He and he's kind of saying, "This is a, now a state-sanctioned fight to the death." Because he represents law enforcement, and he's saying, "This is how we're going to do it," and that is not believable. Because someone comes on the radio and goes, "Until a senior officer arrives, th- he is right." It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. What if it goes wrong? Like, it doesn't. It should be. I understand that it can be covert, and like the other police officers are on their way. But he's like, "Look, I will let you do this, but when they get here, we need yeah. to do it by the book." Yeah, and it's it's. Very, it's a very schoolyard thing because everyone just gathers around and goes, fucking give it to him! Fight! Kick him! Yeah, and he literally pushes other people out of the way, like, let them fight. <laughs> they was, must fight. It was cool seeing Copiera for the first time, though. Yeah. I'd never seen that before. And I remember thinking this is one of the best fights I've ever seen as a kid because it looked like they were really kicking the shit out of each other. I think the trouble is that some of these fight scenes that I loved in the 80s look really dated now because of what we've yeah. we've gotten... Um, Due to films like The Raid or yeah. or John Wick or you know the, all these people have, have have come in from China and Japan and taught us how to fucking kick the shit out of each other properly. Yeah. Did you and read about the martial art that they were taught? Uh, so they did capoeira, but they did. It's called Jailhouse Rock. Isn't it fascinating? Yeah. It was a, a martial so art that was uh, basically adapted inside uh, the penal system. It's so scary in the, in the US, which is. Or based, I think it was African martial arts was where no, it came no, from. No, it was Elvis Presley. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, of course it was. Yeah, um, but it's all about improvising. And um, but I couldn't work out as I was reading about it. I couldn't work out whether these were this was a, a martial art that had been developed for sanctioned fights within the prison system, like where you were. Like, I guess they have boxing matches, prison boxing matches, maybe. I don't know. Or whether it was like some sort of covert martial art that was like, if someone comes at you in the yard, you use Jailhouse Rock. That was my reading of yeah, it, yeah, yeah, which made me more scared of it. The scariest fight scene I've ever seen it was the Breaking Bad prison scene. Have you seen that? So uh, Mr. White from the outside pays the right people. And he, I, can't, I, I saw it years ago. I can't remember who he wants dead. He wants someone dead in prison. So everyone sharpens their toothbrushes. And as the man's walking down the corridor, they just puncture him. It's so scary. The shit. Like 50, ta- yeah, with these sharpened whatever. 
and it's just the way because it's just these tiny little dots on his torso but because there's so many of them it kills him and it's just done brutally and quickly it's really haunting I'm terrifying sexy. <laughs> <laughs> that's not sexy um but that uh, that gives because weirdly this fist fight in the rain does go wrong and Gary Beauty doesn't die and so that gives us a moment that Riggs and Murtaugh can shoot him together it does. And obviously, by this point, uh, General uh, McAllister, uh, played by Mitchell Ryan, Mimi Driver's dad in Gross Point Blank. Oh, yeah, that's nice. I know. Uh, uh, he, uh, his death's quite good because he's sort of trapped with all his grenades in his car, screaming yeah. to get out. Yeah. Pretty good death for him. Yeah. Um, um, and Michael Hudsacker, do you know, we talked about him on the podcast. He uh, is um, oh, Tom Atkins. Yeah, from, Tom Atkins is um, a legend. The Fog. Main guy in the film. And, oh, and, God, and, really? the, and the Monster Squad. He's a legend. Oh, yeah, shit, of course. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's done a lot of great horror in the oh, 80s. Yeah, I just didn't put it together. Yeah. Um, so it's Christmas. Uh, Riggs is now part of the family. He says a sort of goodbye to his dead wife. That's it. He's fixed. Mm. He's mended. Yeah. Uh, and he, uh, Murtong will not let him leave Murtong alone to eat the world's lousiest Christmas turkey. I can't believe that there's it even a suggestion ends. that he can't come in. Like, the daughter answers the door and he's he clearly is waiting to be invited in and she's like, so if that's everything? <laughs> <laughs> and he comes running down the path after him, like, let him in. Um, so we all know that uh, the sequel to Lethal Weapon, so Shane Black wasn't involved after, like, half of two because he wanted to kill off Mel Gibson's character and uh, the studio went, no, <laughs> and so fired him instead, or yes. he was invited to leave. Um, and there's meant to be a fifth one. Yeah, I know. Richard, is it Richard Donner who's like trying to, talking about it at the moment? Yeah, can Richard Donner still direct a film? I have no idea. Is it true? I saw a is, is he 50 plus? Because 50. <laughs> You're done. As he proved with this movie, after 50, you are nothing. <laughs> is it true that the tagline for it, because I saw a poster, but I didn't know if it was like fan art and it just says, still not too old for this shit. Like, I, I know it's cheap, but it's hilarious. I think it's fan art. I don't think they've really said it yet, but that is good. It's really funny. I hope they're paying attention. Um, um, so should we do the bits? Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Alex, what was your best scene? Uh, I, I, well, I was going to say that I feel like a bit of a dick picking uh, this scene because uh, it's not in uh, the movie version I watched. Uh, but I believe it is in the director's cut. But then Chris mentioned it anyway. It's the sniper scene. Okay. It's so good. Uh, you can find it online if you haven't seen it. But it's um, it's just, I think, I think he's really good in it, uh, Mel Gibson. And I think it's just the right balance of crazy and skillful mm. and it works really well. So... Uh, the Mel Gibson Riggs sniper scene that isn't in the main version. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely picking a scene that's in the film. Uh, <laughs> it's a good um, call. Um, and I'm going to pick the scene that, that sets him up much better than the deleted scene that Alex what? just mentioned. So the jumper jump. Yeah. Uh, I just think it sums up the movie and uh, I think it's it's great Riggs and it's great Murtaugh you get in that scene as well. So it's got everything. Covers all the bases. Yep, me too, for the exactly the same reasons. Uh, yeah, me three. That, uh, <laughs> that jumper scene there. I mean, really I, what I'm thinking is probably pick one that's in the movie, so the jumper scene. Oh, whatever. Mm. Uh, most valuable whatever, Chris. So I initially had Danny Glover because of how good he is at, how good he is at reacting. And then I thought, what the fuck am I doing? Mm. Like, it's because he's reacting to someone who's really doing something special. But just interestingly, uh, do you know who Shane Black wanted to play Murtaugh? Bruce Willis. William Hurt. <laughs> really? Been, oh, really? Who I just can't see as being as funny um, or good. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I'm going with Mel Gibson um, because he's someone increasingly, um, <clears throat> as we've seen in real life, seems like he's on the edge. Oh, yeah. And so it's why he's right for this role. And 
he's what makes Lethal Weapon. So, um, Mel Gibson. Yeah. Yeah, but then it is uncomfortable, isn't it? Like with everything he's done in the last few years, mm-hmm. it's a hard watch now. Yeah, okay. Um, you. Mel Gibson. Okay. Well, <laughs> see, I've stepped back from lauding Mel Gibson because uh, I think... I just wanted to. So I've gone with the character of Riggs uh, because the idea of a man with nothing to lose, but he's quite light with it. That's the, that, he's funny with it. And would I don't you, like that. Would you have liked to see maybe William Hurt <laughs> in the Riggs role? Would that have done it for you? I'm not a William Hurt guy, so I don't want to see him anywhere near this film. <laughs> uh, Chris, what would you change? Um, every single woman in this film is a victim. Yes. So, you know, that wouldn't have been hard to fix. <laughs> Give someone some agency and something going on. Give the daughter, you know, she, she can, can be involved in her own, exactly, yeah. in her own escape. So, yeah, just, you know. Easy peasy. So, and, and they do fix that later on in the series when Rene Rousset <laughs> joins the, the cast. But, yeah, that's just a problem with this one. Yeah, not enough uh, female victims for me. I really, really? I really like to Are litter. Are you sure about this? Litter, no. <laughs> litter. <laughs> a litter of film with them. No, uh, mine is uh, the, the, the line when... Uh, they've just escaped from the nightclub. Riggs is chasing down Mr. Joshua and Merton is going to go after General McAllister and he comes out and he's got Rihanna with him, Rianne with him and and he's like, all right, I've got to go get General McAllister and there's a beat cop who comes up to him and <laughs> Merton says to him, get me some backup and take care of the girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like... What you mean, your daughter? Yeah, like, but <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why you'd not say at that point. So Take I go, care of you. <laughs> my, my daughter, who I thought was going to die mm. li- literally five minutes ago, just take care of her. Unless he was basically saying, "You don't know who my daughter is." So if if I say, "Look after my daughter," and you go straight to my house and you don't realize this girl standing next to me is my daughter, <laughs> I guess I should point out I mean this girl. Okay. Uh, my change is use the bolt <laughs> because Mel Gibson accidentally starts the bolt. There's a bolt on the driveway. Why not drive it down the street, chase it after someone, and let's get to some water, okay? <laughs> let's use the bolt. Why have we got a bolt on a driveway? Drive the bolt through the front of the house at the end. <laughs> oh, my God, of course. There you go. Yes. They try to do the car. The car won't start because Christmas, whatever. Drive the bolt through yeah. the house. Perfect. Yep. Uh, works for me. Uh, all right, that is lethal weapon done. Uh, very quickly, uh, do uh, take the time if you if you would to uh, subscribe to us, rate and indeed review us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or other. It's a huge help, and we really appreciate it. Our Twitter is at ClashPod. Our Instagram is at ClashPod. Uh, that is us. We will be back on. Thursday. You can't see this, but Chris is waving his <laughs> finger at me like an old schoolmaster. What? I slave over this quiz each week, oh, writing, a, writing questions not, for you all. Do you know what? It's my own fault. I always... Oh, wait, I did. I turned the page too quickly. <laughs> there it is, written in black and white. Quiz. I've got a quiz for you. Uh, but I will say as well, um, we're doing this thing in January where we're going to do the films that you guys pick. Um, we have had, as of recording this, 151 pairing suggestions have come in. Brilliant. I say we do six months then. So many good ones. Um, so if you want to um, send your... Pairing suggestions in is show at clashpod.com. Yeah, you like them on email, don't you? Yes. So that's why I said that. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, we're going to do the quiz. I'm calling this. I'm going to string this out because Alex is eating cake. <laughs> and I don't want him coming to the mic with a full mouth. Um, I'm calling this the vanity quiz because this is about... Winner. This, <laughs> Winner. 
This is about actors with music careers that are a little more than vanity projects. Okay. Um, and I'm going to give you an album, oh, and you've got to tell me the the actor who made the album, but it's going to be multiple choice. So say I said The Return of Bruno. Mm-hmm. Who released the album The Return of Bruno? I don't know. What are you talking about? I thought you'd know that one. Bruce Willis released an album The Return of Bruno. Oh, really? In, the, in 1988. Under the Boardwalk went to number two in the UK charts. So oh, yeah. Do, quick question. Yes. Um, so are we... What what's happening? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Are, you, are we guessing? Stop it. Are we guessing? <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. I'm gonna give you three. Al- I'm gonna give you the album title and then three actors, and you've got to pick which actor you think recorded the album. It's that simple. Okay. Songs from the Crystal Cave. Who recorded that album? Was it Jackie Chan, John Claude Van Damme, or Steven Seagal? Steven Seagal. John Claude Van Damme. It was Steven Seagal. Yeah! That came out in 2005, and the style can be described as outsider country meets world music meets Aikido. Okay. Uh, Bastard Life or Clarity? Who recorded that? Was it Oliver Reed, Russell Crowe, or Richard Harris? Russell Crowe. Oliver Reed. It was Russell Crowe. Oh, fuck's sake. Uh, I remember there were prizes for these quizzes. I know. There's a prize coming next week. Um... Night Rocker. Who recorded Night Rocker? Is that with a K or with an N? Mm. David Uh, Hasselhoff. (laughs) Is it David Hasselhoff, Chuck Norris or Mr T? It's David Hasselhoff. (laughs) It's David Hasselhoff. You both get it. Um, That was... uh, that, Are you keeping score as well? I just want to make sure now there's a prize involved. Oh, you're unbelievable. That album featured three songs that, that appeared in an episode of Knight Rider. Uh, this person, the album is his name, followed by the words, Sings Cowboy Favourites. So who sings Cowboy Favourites? Was it John Wayne, Ronald Reagan or Clint Eastwood? Ronald Reagan. I think it was Ronald Reagan. It was Clint Eastwood. No. no. Famously bad singer as well. Okay. Uh, the Transformed Man. <laughs> was that William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, or Charlton Heston? William Leonard Shatner. Nimoy. It was Shatner. Well oh! done, Vicky. She's on the comeback trail. Uh, that's from '68. Features his famous cover of "Lucy in the Sky" with diamonds. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not as good as his common people. That's still the best. Yeah. <laughs> Dead man's bones. Uh, was that River Phoenix, Ryan Gosling, or Keanu Reeves? Keanu Reeves. I think that was. Mm, River Phoenix It was Ryan Gosling You both got it wrong Was it really? Two left I didn't know he even did music No The Futurist Was that Robert Downey Jr Eddie Murphy Or Jamie Foxx Jamie Jamie Foxx Surprisingly It was Robert Downey Jr What? Released in 2006 Debuted at 121 On the US charts And featured a cover Of Charlie Chaplin's Smile Oh god Oh when was this? This was old Robert This was around Not that old This was Chaplin time Robert Downey No Jr. this was 2006 Oh okay A couple of years before Iron Man um, Finally The Crow Who recorded The Crow? Was it Peter Sellers Steve Martin Or Hugh Laurie? Hugh Laurie Steve Martin Steve Martin yes! It's a tie <laughs> Have you got a tiebreaker? It's a tie. I have got a tiebreaker, kind of. So we're jumping ahead to Die Hard. <clears throat> Who can name the most members? I'm going to go one to one each uh, of Hans Gruber's uh, gang. Oh fuck! Okay, All I'm right. going to start with you, Vicky. So that gives you a bit of an advantage. Kyle. Okay, so stop. Okay, you get one. Thank you, Alex. Hold on, put the notes down. I don't know if they're yeah, written they, there. No, they're down there. These, this is just me writing them down so I remember them. 
Theo. You fucker. You fucker. Put your nose down. It's on the one No, I. She's doing it. Right, no, I'm not. I'm not right. Theo. And Hans Gruber, you can't have Hans Gruber. Okay, okay. Theo's correct. <sighs> He's cold. This just, I really, I'm, this is going to take ages because oh. I really want to get this. <clears throat> Carl's brother. He just calls him brother. So, Bruder is brother. Gosh, you can't have that. No, I'm afraid not. If you can get one, Alex, you've won. Uh, I, I could probably get two. Um, I'm going for Christoph. Correct, Christoph. <clears throat> Alex wins the tiebreaker. And I would have also had Uli, uh, who Uli. Uh, Al Leong plays. And you could have had Franco, Tony, Alexander, Marco, Eddie, Heinrich, Fritz and James. <laughs> <laughs> well played, Alex. I'm annoyed about that. No, it's okay. You deserve it. Thanks very much. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. So where does that put us uh, in terms of who gets this prize? I'm not going to tell you until we get to the finale. <laughs> it's so tense. All right. Uh, well, I did with my guff about how you can stay in touch with us. Chris told you about January. I won the quiz. That's the end of the show. We'll be back on Thursday to do Die Hard and reveal which of these two movies is our Christmas action movie champion. Speak to you then. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creator Network.